0: Radio, And now, here's
1: Gene Steinberg. You know, this is the kind of show I think that if Blue Mike wanted to advertise on the PowerCast, it'd be perfect because I always run to people who are using some kind of Blue Mike. I've got a Yeti Pro here, but I'm using the Shure SM58. Randall has a Blue Snowball. Our guest this week, Ben Radford, has a Blue Yeti, which is one of the best mics on the planet for professional use. I mean, really good, a little bit flaky, but we run into so many people who have the blue mics. Interesting indeed. In any case, let's talk about last week's episode with Kurt Collins, and he has a site called The Saucers That Time Forgot. Very, very emphasis, great emphasis on pop culture. In fact, the avatar he uses in our forums and on Facebook is one of the alien creatures from the movie Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Ben Radford, I know you're not old enough to have been old enough when that movie came out in the 50s. Do you remember Earth versus the Flying Saucers?
2: I saw it, obviously, as you said, not at the time, but I, I am a fan of film, and I do remember uh, I I was I was in a phase, I think, in my late teens when I sort of rediscovered the, the 50s and 60s um, sci-fis, and I, I do remember that one, yes.
1: Of course, the irony here is that They licensed one of major Donald Kehoe's books. And I guess he didn't understand how Hollywood works. So when it came out to be a sci-fi film with maybe 30 seconds at the beginning talking about UFOs, he was embarrassed. But that film was a low-budget film featuring the special effects from Ray Harryhausen. The great Ray Harryhausen, yes. Stop-motion animation, totally, totally fabulous special effects. In fact you'd find few sci-fi films from any era that matched it. I mean, the work is incredible because, you know, what is it, 24 frames a second, every single frame has to be photographed separately, and the movement has to be smooth and fluid. Mm -hmm. I mean, it takes a genius. Now, of course, you just run the CGI app on your computer, but then, anyway. Uh, So that's what we did. And I was thinking about that. We also got into kind of superhero stuff. And if you haven't had a chance, there's a new network here in the US. I don't know what Randall has in Canada called HBO Max, which includes the DC network. And there's a show called Doom Patrol. Kind of an R rated series about haphazard superheroes. Ever hear of it, Ben?
2: I have heard Doom Patrol I used to I used to read the, the comic books but I, I have I have not seen the series.
1: Let's just put it this way. there's one actress there, Diane Guerrero and I hope I have her name pronounced correctly. She plays a character, a metahuman with 64 different distinct personalities. Imagine getting that right. That doesn't I, sound like
2: superpower to me that sounds like a, a liability.
1: She's got super strength and stuff on some of those characters. But oh, okay. All right. The woman portraying someone with that many distinct personalities, she's amazing. Now, forget you know, you have people like Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomer and uh, occasional appearances by Timothy Dalton, but she is the star. I mean, I've never seen anyone do what she can do, it's incredible. So it's worth watching, even if you get the seven-day free trial or something. In the U.S., HBO is completely confused. Some people get it with their HBO subscriptions on their cable system. Some don't. Some get it as a replacement for HBO Go. It's not yet on Roku, I don't think. Don't ask me to explain any of this. None of it makes sense in terms of marketing. But that is worth binging on a seven-day trial... And maybe you'll want to keep it, but it's flaky otherwise, but it's definitely worth it. Anyway, I don't know why we started with this, except, of course, that Ben was into comic books. What about the superhero stuff now? Do you take note of it?
2: I don't as much as I used to. I, you know, in my in my teens and early twenties, I was an avid uh, comic book collector and Dungeons and Dragons player and all that. Um, unfortunately, uh, as sort of career and life and and uh, degrees and book writing and other other adultish things have um, have emerged, I've had less and less time for that. But I'm I'm still a fan of the genre.
1: I like the fact that there are some shows. They're still being done really good. I like the CW. In fact, the the people who produce the Arrowverse, quote unquote, shows on CW, they're behind Doom Patrol. Greg Berlanti is the main producer and several of the other people involved in Supergirl and Arrow did this show. But this show can't be on commercial TV because every third word is a four letter word, especially from Brendan Fraser's character where he plays a guy in an old fashioned robot suit That all that's left from an accident is his brain put inside this robot suit. And he inhabits it brilliantly. I mean, I didn't think of him as much of an actor until I heard the show. He's really
2: good. He was, he was good in the, in the Mummy films, and uh, I guess he was in Seeing and some of the other ones. But yeah, he, he's always struck me as a, a, a serviceable actor. Uh, not stellar, not bad, but uh, he, sound, he sounds uh, intriguing in this one, new one. I'll check it out. Definitely. You don't see his face, except occasionally. So he has to act
1: behind the mask, as they say. Matt Bomer has to do that also for most of the show. He also sings very well. Didn't know that, but he also does a singing routine on this. In any case, let's get to other pop stuff. And the pop culture of today is, of course, the To The Stars Academy and a certain rock front man and all that stuff. But the big one, of course, is the Navy supposedly taking UFOs seriously. The New York Times, The Washington Post, Politico. What's your reaction to that, Ben?
2: Well, you're talking about the, the uh, recently released uh, Navy Pentagon, or, or recently verified ones. Um, totally. Yeah, it, it was interesting, uh, because, you know, as as you mentioned, in April, the Pentagon basically declassified uh, three U.S. Navy videos. And it was curious, because they were described uh, online and in news reports as being, you know, newly released. Well, in fact, they'd been around for years. <laughs> I'd seen these, you know, some of them were back in, in 2007 and, and 2017, 2018. The air quotes news part about it was that they were declassified by the, the Pentagon, the uh, U.S. Navy. The, the idea being that they were the, these videos that had been circulating again in some cases for many years – were authenticated as you know basically the the navy was admitting yes yes in fact these are our videos which was pretty widely <laughs> believed anyway i mean I, I don't think anybody really thought oh these are fake videos <laughs> you know that was interesting and and just sort of seeing that the public's reaction to them uh, as i recall the the navy spokesperson sort of released it saying okay well we want to clear up any misconceptions about it but, of course, it did nothing of the sort because all of a sudden you have people going around and talking about oh, what, what are these videos showing. I, I looked into them a little bit. The UFOs are not my main bailiwick. I do lots of other stuff, monsters and chupacabras and ghosts and things like that. I, I do some stuff in the UFO realm, but I, I did happen to come across some of the analysis of these. A lot of really good ones were done by my colleague Mick West on his website Metabunk. And he's far more informed than I am, and he, he did a really good breakdown of each of these videos. So if people are interested in sort of the, the, the nitty-gritty details, uh, he does that. So when I saw these, there, there were a couple of things that were sort of going on. One was I saw people saying that, well, that the fact that the objects appeared both visually and on instrument on instrumentation meant that it was a so-called real UFO. Well, of course— all UFO means is unidentified flying object. That's just something in the sky that somebody, for whatever reason, under the conditions of the time, can't immediately identify. There's nothing inherently mysterious about UFO. it's just means something someone doesn't know where it is. So UFOs by themselves are common. The question, of course, is not, is there something in the sky? Because there's all sorts of things in the skies. The question is, is this some sort of extraterrestrial craft or if there's some reason to think that it's, it's something unusual? You know what's Um,
1: unusual? These announcements. Then Ben Radford will talk further about the UFO photos, the gun camera photos, and more. With Gene and Randall, you're in
3: The Paracast.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's
5: Oh, so you're wearing a mask every day now? Where are you
6: getting them? The
4: same website where I get my neck and body wraps, SunnyBay.com. And they're
6: handmade. Really? Uh,
4: Just like their wraps in the USA.
6: Oh, and good quality? Oh,
4: very good. These are disposable face masks.
6: And good price?
4: That's the best part. I get a 10-pack for
7: only $6. Wow.
8: Yes, as a public service, we're now sourcing disposable face masks with level one protection at SunnyBay.com. Get a 10-pack of high-quality, more breathable face masks, only $6. Our face masks are hypoallergenic, latex-free, and made for stress-free all-day wearing. Or choose our N95 respirator masks, two-pack, for only $6. Supplies are limited, so place your order at sunny-bay.com, a biomed DB design company right here in the USA. Go to sunny-bay.com and purchase your disposable face masks online. Ten masks for only $6. Just click sunny-bay.com. That's sunny-bay.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Back with Ben Radford. We left when he was talking about those photos, looking at them, and he says, sure, UFOs in that they were not identified as something specific are they extraterrestrial craft and i guess we'd add to that are they things that are conventional or something unconventional whether extraterrestrial or something else so
2: what have you and your people learned well there's a couple things here. Uh, again, because these were these were visually cited as well as seen on instrumentation and we know this because it, of course the in the videos themselves you can often see on screen data about what was going on at the time. Some people were saying, well, you know this somehow proves that it's it's real uh, and of course no one was ever really disputing that the videos were real there's no reason to think they were faked they're actually they're actually pretty mundane I mean frankly I would be much more suspicious if there was some sort of really super dramatic you know something you would see in a sci-fi film so they're actually fairly fairly mundane and so all that tells you all the fact that they were seen both visually and on interpretation tells you it does tell you something it tells you for example that ...that the sightings were not hallucinations. They weren't visual illusions. Uh, it wasn't some sort of, you know, uh, you know mental problem. That It actually was legitimately out there in the sky. Uh, the fact they appear on instrumentation also tells you that uh, it wasn't just a computer glitch, right? Because computers glitch all the time you know there's there's anomalies on on uh, on screens there are all sorts of things like that so the the fact that they were both sighted visually and registered on instrumentation tells us that whatever they were they they actually were literally out there in the skies again they weren't just someone's imagination they weren't a hoax and they weren't just a a, a faulty c- computer glitch display so there's basically three different videos, and they were known uh, basically as uh, – there was a FLIR video, and this one probably shows a distant plane. It seems to be unusual because uh, it seems to move at, uh, at unusual speeds and angles, but this is actually a, a function of, of the, the camera. And you can tell this because in the FLIR video, for example, it doesn't move on screen. It only moves when the camera does. This is a strong clue that uh, if you stabilize the cameras, like for example, if you, you know the uh, you, you can look back at, for example, the, the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin film of the Bigfoot. People have stabilized the footage, and when you stabilize the creature moving in the in the in, in the famous Bigfoot film, uh, you get a much better sense of whether it's moving like a human is in a costume or or you know some you know some some other way. So the the stabilization is an important part of the of the clue in terms of figuring out what's going on. So the the flare video is probably just a low resolution image of a of a distant plane going away from the pilot then there's the gimbal video and that's probably also a plane and what makes it look unusual is that it appears to be rotating on screen and again this if you take a close look at it you see once again that it's basically an artifact of of the camera it would be bizarre unusual or extraterrestrial if you will if this entity this flying entity suddenly for example rotated in midair that would defy physics you know for example, planes and air and you know helicopters and aircraft can't make a, a ninety degree turn. They just literally physically impossible. So if this thing that's seen on this gimbal video is making a ninety degree turn, for example, that would indicate that it must be something that is unknown, some unknown technology. For example, extraterrestrial craft. But in this case, the reason it's called the gimbal video is that it's mounted on a gimbal system. And so the, the camera itself is rotating. And so what you see on the screen appears to the naked eye and just sort of superficial glance to be, oh, wow, this is weird. It's suddenly moving. Well, no, it's the, it's the, it's the gimbal system the camera is mounted on that's moving. The third video is was what's called the, the Go Fast video. And this is probably a, a balloon seen from above. Um, and once again, the, the video is deceiving. So these videos, they're not hoaxes, they're not frauds, they're not fakes. There's no one trying to pull a fast one. They're just videos that, uh, to, to the average person, just sort of glancing at it, and when seen in a particular light, can appear to be mysterious. And so, for example, in the Go Fast video, uh, you see this object from above, which is probably a weather balloon or another balloon, uh, that seems to be moving quickly, but in fact... Because of the parallax illusion, you can actually tell it's not moving that fast at all. So it, it's, it's obviously hard to sort of describe in words <laughs> uh, these things. But if, again, if you look on Mick West's uh, site, Metabunk, there's really good, solid, detailed analyses of all three of these videos. I have to agree with you on on the, the videos that they
3: alone certainly aren't that convincing. But one thing I do have to do is take some exception to the idea that the word UFO means the literal interpretation of the words that form the acronym. There's some really good reasons for saying that it means anything but some vague object in the sky that is simply unidentified. Specifically, the actual definitions of UFO by the U.S. Air Force, which is the department responsible for creating the term in the first place. So, I mean, we could really get into that. Because this idea that it's just simply some unidentified thing in the sky—that that's a misrepresentation of
2: the term. Well, no, you can. Well, I mean, you can you can define it however you want, but that's literally what the term means. And so, uh, well, uh, hang on, that's not literally what the term
3: means. Up. That's a misrepresentation of the term. If you go to the actual United States Air Force definitions, those are the people who created the term. Then we can look at the definitions. We can't simply just make up definitions what we want it to be. Just so that it suits our particular agenda. And I've heard, I've heard skeptics do this a number of times. I've heard ufologists do this a number of times. I've heard news people do this a number of times, but none of them have actually gone to the source to look up the history, to see how the definition itself evolved from the people who created the word. And when you do that, you get something completely different than this idea that it's just simply an unidentified flying object. We could say the same thing about radar. Radio detection and ranging. I mean, we don't detect radios out on the range. It's. I mean, we don't
2: define acronyms literally by the way they sound. They have right, very specific but, meanings right the mistake that you're making is that there's a common parlance and usage so for example in the New York Times they use the word UFO the New York Times uh, editorial policy probably isn't and I'm an editor myself but but you're you're the New York Times is not necessarily adhering strictly to whatever definition the the, the, the military has so I, I don't disagree with you that that the the phrase UFO or, or the 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 unidentified flying object um, may mean a specific thing in in one particular context, but that doesn't mean that anybody that uses the, the term UFO, either in print or journalism or in blogs or wherever else, is using that term. Oh, exactly. When
3: we talk about something that that you do advocate is critical thinking. And so when we talk about critical thinking, what we want to do is be precise with our terminology. And if we're going to look at a subject, then we ought to be as precise as we can be. And therefore, there's something to be said for looking into the actual history of the terms that we're using in order to describe what we're talking about. I'm pretty sure you would agree
2: with that. I, yeah, sure. You know. yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I, again, I you know the the objects that are seen in these videos are self evidently flying. More to come, I guess, about the definition of UFO. <laughs> ben and Gene and Randall, you're in
3: the Paracast.
11: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
14: USA Radio News with Wendy King.
5: The mayor of Boston has declared racism a public health emergency, opening the door to making changes in police policy in the city.
15: There are other steps that we have to take in housing, in education, in economic development.
5: Also, police reform is coming to New York. Governor Andrew Cuomo signed sweeping legislation into law. The community
16: pays for the police department that they want.
5: So what police department do you want? Some states are seeing a spike in coronavirus cases. The CDC put out new guidelines. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, says preventative measures work.
13: You can improve on the economy. You can get people back to work and still do the fundamental things, like wearing a mask all the time when you're outside, of having this physical distance,
5: of avoiding the congregation and crowds. This is USA Radio News. President Trump has chosen to delay his rally in Oklahoma by one day. He says he wants to respect a holiday called Juneteenth, which is important to black Americans. More people are banning the Confederate flag after the riots in Minneapolis over the death of George Floyd. With more on this story, here's USA's John Hunt.
2: Amazon is reportedly removing the immensely popular 70s series The Dukes of Hazards from its streaming library as it reviews its content offerings in the wake of racial tension. The TV series ran on CBS for seven seasons, and it follows the adventures of Bo and Lou Duke, who create mischief in their fictional small town of Hazard County, Georgia. The show has been criticized over the years, especially for the boy's well-known car, the General Lee, which has a Confederate flag on the roof. The move would be in line with a recent decision made by HBO Max, which removed the Oscar-winning Civil War film Gone with the Wind from its library.
5: You're listening to USA Radio News. Extend
13: your life
17: with ExtendoVite.
13: ExtendoVite really works. Here are some reviews from Amazon.com. John Hess, 5 out of 5 stars. Awesome. Probably my only review, but at age 40, I was getting bad heart drop and left arm pain, mainly before bed. I even stopped smoking and drinking sodas for a month, and that didn't work. After one day of taking extendbite it was gone and hasn't returned in three years. I've ordered Extendabite 13 times, so Amazon just said. Juliet Hordick. I've ordered this product before in liquid form. It is fantastic. My whole family's been on it. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life
17: with ExtendoVite.
18: Tom Clark,
4: author of the UFO Encyclopedia and Other Books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: I'm not going to go into detail, but Randall and I have had this discussion about what a UFO is defined as. I'd like to move past that and have you two agree to disagree, because the most important thing here is what these photos represent. And pretty much like most UFO photos I've seen, and these are not atypical, you don't really see anything distinctive enough. Right no, to get a gander of what's really going on. Photos, sure.
2: Yeah, there's that ambiguity that makes it so difficult and tantalizing and, and intriguing. I mean, if they were, if they were obviously something, then we would know what they were. Yeah, maybe. We had a
3: guest on Gary Buries, who was a technician aboard one of the ships while these events were going down, and we talked to him about the idea that perhaps what they were detecting on their radar and even what was seen visually may have been some sort of advanced countermeasures system that they were testing in secret, highly classified, that even the people that were out chasing these uh, supposed objects didn't know about. And he was saying that, you know, with the kind of radar spoofing that we've got at the military's disposal and the ability to create 3D shapes, By optical means, whether it's there's there's a number of them, but there's holograms, but there's also other types. These could be simply some sort of advanced military illusion.
2: Uh, It's possible. Keep in mind, of course, that that some of these videos uh, were recorded in 2004. So I'm not sure that that there was the sort of holographic illusion technology that you're available at the time. Well, yeah, we can't be sure, but what we do know
3: is that they've been experimenting with um, fairly high-powered particle projectors since back in the 80s uh, out of the Starfire, Starfire optical range, for example. And let's just say you, know, you give the military several billion dollars in, in 40 years to research something. I think it's within our means to... Probably be able to do something like that, and so you know, I my well, point is, if if we can do it, why should we jump to the conclusion that it's something extraterrestrial or off world?
2: Right. I would see. I would take the opposite tack. I would say that if what we see in these videos, or at least one of the videos, really is the product of forty billion dollars in high tech, it should be much more impressive. Well, I, I mean, we have to take it into take into account
3: the rest of the circumstances around the case as well those videos themselves like i said yeah i agree with you they're fairly suspect but there were radar returns as well as the pilots citing these things visually while they're out in the air and so you know if you hear the report from say david fravor he seems very credible and it doesn't sound like what he saw was anything that was vague or uh you know way off in the distance so that he couldn't make it out he was he tried to chase the thing and it zoomed past his aircraft so it may have been a lot more impressive if you were there as opposed to looking at these blurry videos that aren't taken in full optical and not at seemingly very high resolution
2: Well, right. And you also have to wonder, I mean, if I mean, keep in mind that that these are the high profile videos, right? These are the ones that are making the front page of the New York Times. These are the big discussed ones. And my question is, this is the best there is. This is this is the most exciting, dramatic, hardest, most impressive evidence. These really mundane I'm just – I'm really disappointed in either the extraterrestrials or the government. If this is as impressive a UFO, uh, whatever they may be, as, as they can muster. We just go with the videos.
3: Yes, I'm not even sure that we can be sure that those videos are definitely of the objects that were visually
2: seen. No, there's, I agree. It's there. It's there's, I mean, there, there's just too many unknowns. We right. We, we know that they were sighted. We, we know that they appeared on instrumentation, including radar. Beyond that, could be could be something. Could be nothing. I mean, it's unfortunately just more of the sort of same ambiguous evidence that that plagues the whole field. That, though, in itself, is pretty interesting to me uh, because
3: one would think that there should be more evidence. Uh, this it disturbs me because I am a believer. I, I use the word belief uh, unashamedly, and I, I think we could get into to that as well. But let's just say, if we, for the sake of argument, assume that something beyond our mundane uh, technology and our civilization in our own civilization, is out there, is actually there. It's something real, something objective, it's something physical. And we don't know necessarily where it's from. It's alien to our civilization. Maybe it's from another solar system or planet or or who knows where exactly. But let's just assume it's out there. Mm -hmm. You would think that by now we would have something more substantial, and yet we don't.
2: You, you you raise a, an important point i mean you're exactly right uh you know the, the, the you know at the end of the day either what people are reporting are genuinely um extraterrestrial visitations or again whatever what, what, as you know there's many different theories and you know dimensions I mean all sorts of different you know paths you can go down but at the end of the day either of these things are real and they are occurring uh, in the present day not just you know some weird you know report from 1950s but they're happening in in, in 2014 2017 uh, something could be happening this very minute that will while you and I are talking and maybe we'll hear about it next week or whatever if with all the technology and all the, the the cell phone cameras and all the satellites in 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 you know in orbit and spy satellites with all the things going out there, you have to wonder where are they, right? Why aren't we seeing much more evidence?
3: Yeah, exactly. It's how might we explain that? Like, if we were to just take it for granted that okay, that yes, yeah, something truly strange is going on, then why? Isn't there? What possible reasons could there be? For example,
2: well, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, and that's that's actually one of the the common refrains, of course, from uh, conspiracy theorists, right? They, particularly with UFOs, the answer they provide is well um the, there is evidence um but it is being hidden from us right there there's evidence of the the roswell crash there's LA evidence of alien bodies in you know, hangar eighteen area fifty one in in you know, in in uh, in, uh it, you know take your pick uh so i mean that that's part of their argument is their claim their answer to you would be what are you talking about? There's plenty plenty there's tons of evidence it's just that we're not being allowed to see it because it's being hidden away by, you know, generations of global you know uh, yeah, governments and militaries that are all colluding to keep these things secret. Um, the, of course the other the alternative is that is that these are not that that, that we are not in fact being visited. and these are not actually uh, representations of of extraterrestrial visitations, and they are instead misunderstandings, misidentifications, mistakes, in some cases hoaxes, uh, and there's there's a lot of wiggle room there. Oh, yeah,
3: definitely. I mean, you know, we know that from the research that was done by the Air Force, and virtually anybody that takes this subject seriously enough to look into it knows that there, you know, wiggle room is a a very (laughs) tactful way of putting it. Um, But this kind of gets into the idea of proof. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go back to the beginning uh, with the report on unidentified flying objects by Ruppelt, who was one of the heads of project blue book uh in the air force he had this issue with proof and how do you define it for you what do
2: you how do you define proof well it depends on on the on the context of course um and it also depends on the claim before we define truth and we're not
1: talking about alternative facts here we're talking about real facts truth ben radford and he's a skeptic he works with skeptical inquirer and a really nice guy as you notice he's not an ideologue he's trying to figure out what's going on with gene and randall you're in the paracast
11: thank you for listening to gcn be sure to visit gcnlive.com today
1: All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special And multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. House flies defecate
19: every four to five minutes, spreading diseases and germs. Protect your food and your health with Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic, no batteries required, only $39.95. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at bugassault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your bug assault today.
20: Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the mineral doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Dex for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422.
8: In today's world, violent crime can victimize anyone, anytime. When violent crime confronts you, will you be able to protect yourself and your loved ones? For personal protection training, there's none better than Front Sight, the world's premier firearms training facility near Las Vegas, Nevada. Learn firearm skills from Front Sight's world-class instructors, led by Front Sight's founder and director, Dr. Ignatius Piazza. Whether you're in law enforcement, the military, or a private citizen, after your first firearm training course at Front Sight, you'll leave with skills that surpass 99% of the gun-owning population, guaranteed. And now, you and your family can train at Front Sight free of charge. Yes, free! Go now to FrontSight.com slash to secure a $2,000 four-day defensive handgun course absolutely free with no catch. Enter frontsigh slash radio. Act now before these free courses are all taken. Secure your free four-day course at frontsite.com slash radio. Front Frontsight, America's gun training destination.
17: This is the merciless. You are
4: listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan.
1: There is a what constitutes proof paragraph in Ruppelt's book, by the way. Anyway, let's talk about proof. I would think, as we progress with this, Ben, proof would be number one, it can't be anything else. There has to be evidence that we're dealing with technology that is really, really beyond what we could do, but not just because we see it. We can hold it in our hands. We have the photo that we don't have, which shows all this happening, and it's not Hollywood special effects or Vancouver special effects. There's trace evidence, and of course we had Ted Phillips, the late Ted Phillips, and his trace evidence, but nothing that he produced indicated something beyond the norm that I could see. So that's a fast take on my end, Ben, of proof.
2: You, of course, we're going to have land. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, one of the problems that, that you guys are well aware of and that we come across when, you know, regardless of the specific topic, whether we're talking about lake monsters or ghosts or, or psychics or what have you, is that if these things were obvious, if they were self-evident, if we could uh, go to a zoo in, in Toronto or Philadelphia or wherever and see a Bigfoot or a chupacabra, then we would all agree, like, oh, it's right there. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's this tall, and this is what it eats, and this is when it sleeps, and blah, blah, blah. Same thing with ghosts, right? If, if we knew for a fact that ghosts existed, then we could go to a natural history museum or go to a science museum and walk into the ghost Display and here's the exhibits and here's what we know about ghosts and here's here's a photo of one and this was studied by these people and here's here's journal reports and studies and research and here's a here's a small ghost and you know, you know, say hi to it right same thing with with extraterrestrials and these other things and so. The problem is, of course, that we don't know for a fact that these things exist. So there's not universal consensus that these things exist at all, and even there's not even consensus on, on what these things are. I mean, uh, as as you guys know, there are many different uh, ideas about what ghosts are, for example. Uh, some people think they're spirits of the dead. Other people say they're they're, they're uh, mental projections. Other people think they're interdimensional. Some people think they're uh, memories. Uh, the the stone tape theory, the memories and emotions that were you know bleed into To a a battlefield, for example, or haunted house and then emerge. So if ghost hunters can't even agree on the basics, they can't even agree on the (laughs) the definition of what they're looking for, then you've got a serious fundamental problem. And you see the same problem in, in many different areas, including UFOs. And so because there is this lack of hard evidence, for whatever reason. And, and, of course, in each of these fields, you have people that are that are proffering hard evidence. So, for example, with, with aliens, uh, you had uh, Roger Lear, the podiatrist. Uh, who I interviewed him many years ago at the, at the Roswell Festival, in fact, who claimed to have uh, removed alien implants from from several patients. And he was a nice, very nice guy. I saw, his, I saw his, his talk and talked to him, this and that. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, you, you, you just got done to, you know, spending 40 minutes telling us in these stories and these different people and all the implants. I said, where are they? You said you had these in your possession and you're sure that they're extraterrestrial and they couldn't be found on, on Earth. Where are they? And it's always some excuse. Well, uh, it, it got lost in the mail. Which has always been one of the most ridiculous. Like, really? You you have you have physical evidence, what you believe is truly the first evidence that there's extraterrestrials and you put it in the mail and it got lost and that's so it's just frustrating. And again, I, I don't think he was lying. I don't think it was hoaxing. It's just this sort of, it was just so frustrating trying to get good evidence out of him. And so unfortunately, in all these cases, because we don't have hard evidence, because again, if we had hard evidence, then we would all agree. We'd all say, yep, you're right. This is this. So instead, what we have is ambiguous evidence. We have eyewitness accounts. We have blurry photographs. We have the U.S. Navy videos. We have somebody going into a location, a ghost hunter, for example, and getting a, a, a cold feeling or feeling. Or something. And the problem, of course, is that to scientists, this isn't evidence. It doesn't mean they're lying. It doesn't mean they're hoaxing. It doesn't mean they're making it up. It just means that blurry photographs and weird feelings and sightings of something in the sky or something in a lake or in the woods at a distance aren't good evidence you know, these particular issues might seem academic
3: or unimportant, but I tend to think that they speak to the core of our understanding. And and unless we as critical thinkers can get on the same page with these ideas and concepts, we'll never get past this us versus them sentiment between those of us who are trying to figure out what is really going, you know, what what is really going on. Well, I would assume at least that's what we should be trying to do. And so, You know, so when we say, "Okay, well, you know, what is a UFO? What is a person who, or a ghost?" I mean, that's a really valid point. Um, One of the things I've done is to try to answer those questions. Say, is it even possible for there to be a person who survives the death of their body? Is that, and that to me is kind of at the core of critical thinking. For proof, I, I would say proof is evidence that is sufficient to justify belief in a claim, but that evidence can be different between different people so it's rather subjective some people sure. require you know some people sure. require more evidence or less evidence or different kinds
2: of evidence but once they they've got enough that they believe it that's proof for them uh, yeah and, and that's fine i mean you know i've been doing these investigations for uh, 15 18 years now and you know i routinely uh, interview people who who have some firm belief in some event that they witnessed. They, you know, they, they will look me in the eye and say, I know for a fact ghosts exist because I saw one. I know for a fact the UFOs exist because, uh, you know, 10 years ago I was out hiking with somebody and it was getting dusk and this thing flew over me and I have a back, I have a degree in psychology and and I I use it a lot in my, in my dealings with people. And my response is always, "I, I, I don't disbelieve you. I'm not saying you're wrong. I don't know. I wasn't there help me understand what what your experience was but one thing that i've often found and this sort of goes back to your question is that uh, oftentimes skeptics in general are accused of being closed-minded they're saying well you know you just you know you wouldn't believe anything and you know you're just saying like no i'm not i'm not I'm not saying that you that these things don't exist. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I need evidence. I'm open to the possibility that it's there. But what I often encounter, not always, I don't want to paint a broad brush here, but I often encounter people who, again, if they tell me, I know for a fact that Bigfoot exists or I know for a fact that aliens exist or, or ghosts whatever else, then I say, well, but who's being closed-minded here? Because... I'm not saying the ghosts don't exist. I'm not saying you didn't see a ghost. I'm just looking for alternative explanations. But if you come to me and you say that I know for a fact, that means that there's no evidence, there's no arguments, there's no investigation that I could do that would make you change your mind. You've, you've locked onto your interpretation. This must have been a ghost. I know for a fact I was there. You weren't there. You don't know. And they've locked in. And it seems to me that's really a, a sign of being closed-minded because they're not open to the possibility that they were wrong or mistaken. How do we get past that? Because, you know,
3: I've run into that very same situation and I've really had to learn to try to be more what they call emotionally intelligent with people because as soon as you say to to people who aren't used to this sort of a discussion like the kind that we're having now that it's not meant to be confrontational it's just meant to discuss differing points of view and try to come to a common understanding that can move us ahead in our understanding they will get defensive and then they just shut down and you can't make any progress with them like how can we overcome that do you think
2: well, you know that's a that's a thing that we struggle with as, as skeptical investigators. Um, I mean, not that there's a whole bunch of us. There's maybe a dozen or so, sort of doing this uh, for, for a long period of time. Anyway, um, I mean, this is this is always the problem, right? And so, my I can tell you my approach, and my approach is uh, is diplomacy. And again, part of that goes back to my background in psychology, and I know how easy it is for people to, mi- to be mistaken and, and fooled and have misperceptions, including me, especially me. Humans, we all do it, and we don't realize how often we do it. And this is well known to psychologists, to, uh, to police detectives. The, the the idea that people can misperceive things or misremember things, or, or even if they correctly perceive and remember something— Maybe they not, might explain it well to an investigator or write it down correctly. There, there's so many different stages that all have to be aligned between a, an eyewitness to an event and a later translation of that event, either uh, a, a depiction, a reenactment, a description, whatever it is. There's There are lots of things that all have to be aligned. It's like a game of telephone. And that doesn't mean that that there – again, there's – this doesn't mean there's anybody intentionally lying or faking or hoaxing. It just means that that's how our human minds work, and there's there's so many opportunities for these sorts of things. And so when I, so my approach is is when I when I interview somebody, and I say, you know, you have presented me with this thing that you experienced, and I'm tr- I'm genuinely trying to understand. I'm not coming in here, you know, saying you're stupid, you're crazy. This is this is all BS. No, I'm saying. This is interesting. You, you you, you clearly believe this happened and in in my investigations, in my experience, I've encountered very few hoaxers and frauds. This is not a hoax or a fraud
1: either, but we'd like you to listen. Right. come okay. with Gene, and Ben and Randall, you're in
3: the Paracast
11: Thank you for listening to G C N
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's
1: Jane Steinberg. Okay, so Ben said in the last segment he hasn't encountered too many people who are creating hoaxes, except for yep. those who put up UFO photos on YouTube. <laughs> but, <laughs> There's a lot of there are a few of those. You see, this is part of it also. The difficulty of taking a smartphone and getting a photograph of any distant moving object, even an airplane.
2: Sure. Yeah. No, I was just saying that, you know, my approach is diplomacy. My approach is genuinely trying to solve the mystery. If I talk to somebody who has some experience, I'm trying to figure out what was that experience. I'm not going in there saying, well, you're you're clearly wrong. You're crazy. or what else." I'm saying, I don't know. I wasn't there. Do you have any corroborating evidence? Was there anyone else there? Do you have any surveillance camera footage or photos? Or is, Give me something else to help me understand and put together the context. Oftentimes, I've found that people are responsive to that. When they recognize that, yes, I am a skeptic, and yes, I am trying to bring empiricism and science to it, but no, I'm not being dismissive, I'm not being snarky. I'm taking time out of my day and my time to figure this out. And I say, look, help me understand what this is. And then I will you know, listen to them and try to piece together all the information I can. And based on that, I'll say, OK, well, in my experience, and my research, these are probably the most likely explanations, maybe two, maybe three. Who knows? If one of them is that someone genuinely saw an extraterrestrial craft over their house, Great. That's awesome. I want to be the one to figure that out. If the answer truly is that we can eliminate all the other alternative explanations and there really is some sort of evil or malignant inexplicable force in someone's attic or someone's log cabin or something, if these things are real... That's great. That's important. That is interesting and, and, and relevant, and we need to bring science to it. But unfortunately, in most of the cases that I've seen, not unfortunately, but there are there are alternative explanations that are – when we employ Occam's razor and the, the principle of, of ex- examining these things, these things in the most, most likely explanation, oftentimes you find likelier explanations than the paranormal one. Oh, yeah,
3: sure. No argument there. We should get into some of those actual cases, too, not just the uh, the sort of theory and conceptual stuff. But I do think it's important to cover these ideas to sort of give our listeners an understanding of where you're coming from and where we're coming from as well. Because here at the Paracast, we don't like to think of skeptics as being the enemy. We'd like to get past this whole us versus them attitude and find a way to work together with these common principles to find out what really is going on. And we'd like to do it in a way that doesn't offend people, because we really do believe that people are having genuine experiences out there.
2: I agree. No, I I absolutely agree. And that's one of the reasons I love. uh, I think I've been on your show two or three times now, and I love coming back, and I I love the, the format you guys and the approach that you guys take. And I could not agree more. And I don't even really like to use the the phrases skeptics and believers because it sort of it paints a broad brush. But I'll just use that just for, for simplicity. But I think the skeptics and believers have much more in common than they often realize. I think they sort of get nailed down in in these sorts of person to person and you know sort of yelling matches. Uh, whereas in fact, uh, certainly in my case, I can't speak for other skeptics, but in my case, I genuinely want to know. Again, if the answer is there really is these these mysterious unknown things. Great, that is awesome. Let's all work together and pull our resources and help to weed out the bad information, whether that's mistakes, whether that's frauds or hoaxes, whatever it is, let's all unify and try to make progress on this instead of all this sort of infighting and calling each other names, and maybe we can at least you know work out the basics.
1: One thing that bothered me, going back to the naval UFOs,
2: is
17: if there's
1: such an easy explanation, whatever they are, distant aircraft, drones, whatever, why not just say it rather than drop it open in the air there and leave it to people to suggest, hey, the Navy's admitting we have an unknown phenomenon at work here?
2: That's a fair question. There's a couple of things here. First of all, it's important to realize that the Navy themselves never claimed these were inexplicable. Nobody ever said that. No if you if you go back and you look at it. The Navy never said these videos are unexplainable. We have no idea what they are and anything else. What happened was they were leaked. Uh, The videos were leaked again in 2007, I think 2014, and so they, they were already in the public domain. People were already talking about it. The most recent news was just that they said, yes, this really is, <laughs> as most people already knew, an actual legitimate video. And again, they're, on their surface, they're not that dramatic. They're they're kind of mundane. They're not anything that anybody would just say, oh, my God, that can't be anything but you know, an extraterrestrial craft. So it's important to keep in mind that the, the Navy itself never said that these are beyond science. It's, they never said that they put their best minds to work on. This. All they said was that at the time the, the videos were recorded, under the conditions that they were cited, and again, they're different conditions, There are three different videos, different pilots, and so on, that the pilots didn't know what they were at the time. That does not logically mean that, with hindsight and going back and, and triangulating uh, other aircraft records and whatever else, that the Navy or anybody else, including Mick West at Metabunk, can't put forth an entirely plausible explanation. Right. I guess it all depends on how you frame it,
3: because you'll say you'll talk to people who look at just the radar data where these objects, according to the radar, are at a very high altitude, move very rapidly towards the surface and then come to an almost dead stop in a very short period of time that they say should be impossible for any kind of uh, aerodynamic craft that we've created. Okay. Well, that's sort of a conclusion on their part. That's not necessarily something that the Air Force or the Navy has officially claimed. They'll just say, well, it they're unidentified. They're UAPs. They're unidentified aerial phenomena. Maybe they're a threat to our security. We're not sure. And that was the aim of the program that came out that revealed what was going on. So they were looking at this as perhaps some sort of way to identify what could very well be technology from other nations,
2: not necessarily something alien at all. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. But again, it, I just want to be clear. It's not as if the, the Navy had released these to the public saying, you know, the world's best minds are stumped. <laughs> they never say anything like that. All they said was, you know, those videos that have been circulating for, in some cases, you know, 10 years or longer, those are real videos. They're not faked. It was sort of a nothing burger on that end. And again, just because the pilots under those conditions at that distance and speed and other things going on, just because they couldn't identify what it was, that doesn't mean anything. It it just means that they couldn't they couldn't tell what they were. And, you know, well, I I think it's safe to say
3: that, that it was an extraordinary experience, certainly something out of the ordinary. But to go from there to jump to they came from Zeta Reticuli, that's another matter.
2: I guess it sort of depends on on what you mean by an extraordinary experience. I mean, again, if you watch the videos just prima facie, they're – not that impressive my my point is that it's not like if they had seen something that was was self-evidently extraterrestrial out of this world just so mind-blowingly amazing i can guarantee we would have heard about it before now you know these are weird things that out of and keep in mind of course that that these are just three videos that, that have surfaced in in u.s navy footage so we're looking at a tiny tiny percentage right? i mean there, there must be i'm guessing Tens of thousands of hours. I mean, clearly these were these were designated and noticed as being especially strange or unusual, whatever else. You know, again, this is the what the you know a half a percent of all the stuff that's out there, and even that, as we as we all agree, it's not that impressive. Yeah, the videos to me were almost
3: desensationalizing the whole thing when you look at the other information like i say the the radar reports and the testimony from the pilots and we're talking about accomplished pilots we're talking about that they're team leaders off an aircraft carrier and they don't tend to just, just scramble jets off an aircraft carrier for no reason i mean something was going on this particular pilot now retired says He's never seen anything like it in his entire history of his career with the military.
2: I think that counts as
3: an extraordinary experience, personally. Humans are humans. The fact
2: that a given person goes into a career as an Air Force pilot, for the Navy or anybody else, or a commercial pilot does not automatically give them superhuman perception. Yes, it's true that on average, probably Navy pilots and other pilots, military pilots, are more likely to identify something in the sky than you or I would, or truck driver or an accountant. Gene, Randall, Ben, you're in. The Paracast.
1: As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap
15: This is a Corona crisis self-reliance alert. If you're worried about the power grid in the current crisis and want to generate your own supply of off the grid electrical power, just in case pay close attention. Here's why a limited supply of solar backup generators will be available again in the next two weeks. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving electrical backup power when you get off the grid and unlike gas generators, these solar generators run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Dangerous weather, social unrest, or overloaded grids this summer will not be a problem if you go to mysolarbackup.com and get your solar backup generator. We regret that supplies are limited and only available on a first-come, first-served basis. Check availability at mysolarbackup.com. Never suffer painful power outages again. Go to mysolarbackup.com. That's mysolarbackup.com.
13: Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Has
16: your body ever gone low blood sugar feeling weak, shaky, knowing you better eat something fast? We all know high blood sugar can lead to many metabolic problems. At GCNteam.com, we have a healthy blood sugar pack focusing on the structure and function of stable blood sugar. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Nothing feels worse than unstable blood sugar. Call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: We're continuing with Ben Radford and Gene Steinberg and Jay Randall Murphy. We interrupted you, Ben. Would you proceed?
2: I will. The point I was just making was that keep in mind that these are three relatively short Navy videos. They are exceptional insofar as we're seeing them, we're talking about them. They're they're making the the New York Times, you know. So obviously they are unusual enough, or they're thought enough, they're they're thought to be unusual enough to pay attention to and to to take notice of. But keep in mind that they are selected. They must have been selected from thousands or tens of thousands of hours of similarly, you know, in many cases, mundane videos where, you know, just nobody happened to pay attention to it and maybe there was something that wasn't cited and just no one no one noticed it. And so, you know, just keep in mind that we're seeing the, the most dramatic, presumably, if these were leaked, then... We, <laughs> is there worse? <laughs> Presumably the, the best they have, right? If there were something much more dramatic than that would have leaked long ago. So I'm just not that impressed, unfortunately, with the quality of, of this evidence. Again, I'm not suggesting anybody is stupid or crazy. Or They're just videos of, of objects that are most likely relatively mundane. Okay. This is, this brings up something that I hear
3: time and time again, and it's, On the fallibility of perception and interpretation. Okay, while it's true that human perception and interpretation is fallible, there's also a flip side. And it seems that both are used to advance a particular agenda. Like when a military pilot, who we were just talking about, who's some of the people least likely to be prone to all these perceptual and interpretive problems, reports something extraordinary, we get the perspective that there are these highly fallible, average or below average people, and they're just making some kind of mistake. But if we say that, oh, well, you know, maybe uh, the ancient people had some extraterrestrial help building the pyramids, all of a sudden, well, people are these really creative, industrious creatures that are very smart and capable of figuring out how to do it themselves. And so I, I constantly hear this sort of double standard going on where these psychological issues are used to bolster a particular agenda or opinion, uh, especially with the skeptics.
2: Right. Well, I, I, I wouldn't agree that, and I certainly didn't say that the pilots had below average perceptual ability. I didn't say that at all. If, if anything, I, I said they had average or maybe slightly better than average. So that's I never said or certainly didn't mean to suggest that pilots or anybody else had below average perceptual abilities or anything else. In fact, I would, I would absolutely agree they probably have better than average. The, that's not the question. The question is, let, let's just say the average person m- makes, m- makes a perceptual mistake, say, 5% of the time, just off the top of it, 5%. So you know optical illusions they see something we you know you're in the shower and you hear you hear your phone ringing over the shower and it turns out it's an auditory illusion. there's a c- continual stream of, of illusions and misperceptions throughout the day. so let's just say that the, the average person makes a mistake five percent of the time. so let's say that a pilot, um, in this case an air force pilot Navy pilot but let's say they they let's say they have twice as good, so maybe they make a mistake. Um, so say 3% of the time. So that means that out of every, just, again, I'll just using round numbers here, that means that 3% of the time, again, uh, given all, we're all agreeing, we're all stipulating they have better than average perceptions, 3% of the time they will see something that, they will mistake something unusual for something that's not unusual and vice versa. So given the, the number of hours that a pilot puts in, but a pilot puts in you know, you know, hundreds, tens of thousands of hours, right? So, And, and they see tens of thousands of things. That mean, just statistically, that means that in dozens or hundreds of cases, they will make mistakes. I would posit to you that, the, that these, these cases that, that rise to our attention are exactly those, those small percentages. Okay,
3: I can see where you're going with that. But then, then if we have to look at it from a percentage base and we're looking at what you call of the time, Well, let's consider what time that is. So if we take a situation like the one David Fravor was in, and we're not talking about just an average person here or even above average, we're talking about the best of the best when it comes to pilots, because you don't get to fly those kind of aircraft and become the leader of those squadrons unless you are. So we've got, let's say, okay, if the sighting lasts two or three seconds, okay, out of all of the sightings and experiences where maybe it only lasted two or three seconds, then I can see how there would be an increase in the rate of error. But when you've got a situation where it's daylight, this pilot sees it clearly, has time to watch its movement, move his aircraft towards it, continue to watch it. We'd have a whole bunch of times that this is going on. That, you know, maybe in the first couple of seconds, a person might mistake a bird for something. But over the course of a number of seconds and then into the time of the length of this sighting, the probability that he is having some sort of misperception goes down substantially. Then when it's backed by radar and other pilots, I don't think that you can make a reasonable case that it wasn't something extraordinary.
2: But but uh, we're, but no one no one's suggesting that the pilot's mistook a plane for a bird. The, the the question is what is that what is that object in the distance? That that's the question. Because uh, again, in these video in these navy videos, it is an object. It's it's literally a thing. They appear on in instrumentation. They appear visually. It is something out there in the sky. So the question isn't a misperception in that he's mistaking. Venus or the moon or a bird for an extraterrestrial craft. That's not the distinction here. The distinction here is there's some flying object in the sky that in in at in least one of these cases is probably going away from the pilot at, at a high rate, as, as they do. Um, well, actually,
3: in Fravor's case, it was coming toward him. He was trying to go down and pick up speed to catch it. And he was going in an arc. And according to the report, it then started to come up toward him and then went straight up past him. Right. But so that does, that's but that, does, that doesn't impressive. appear in the video, though. No, no. The videos, I mean, right. we'd ha- I agree with you about the videos. I mean, well, that, that's if we keep going to back video. to those, we're not going to get anywhere because those, in my view, I have the same view of you. But I do think it's important to take into account The eyewitness experiences, the real-time experiences of people who are out there and encountered the object visually.
2: I, I absolutely agree with you and again i uh, again I, I think I think the, the the where we're sticking here is that is that neither I nor anybody else as far as I know is suggesting that the pilots mistook this thing for for a bird or for a sunlight reflected off the interior of the cockpit what we're talking about here is something in the sky that was not that, that, that literally was not identified again this goes back that's he doesn't know what it was um so uh, you know there's a difference difference between saying um, saying that oh well a pilot you know mistook a cloud for uh, for a ufo which is not yeah. what i'm saying i don't think that's being made out anyway we're not going to mistake
1: what's coming up we've got more to <laughs> oh, come with God. gene and ben and randall you're in the
3: Paracast.
11: thank you for listening to gcn Visit GCNlive.com today.
19: House flies defecate every four to five minutes, spreading diseases and germs. Protect your food and your health with Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic. No batteries required. Only $39.95. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your Bug today.
8: S.A. Radio News with Wendy
2: King.
5: Atlanta's mayor has accepted the resignation of Police Chief Erica Shields just 24 hours after a black man was killed by an Atlanta officer following a field sobriety test. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms says the police force needs to change its ways.
6: While we have a police force full of men and women who work alongside our communities with honor, respect and dignity, there has been a disconnect with what our expectations are and should be as it relates to interactions with our officers and the communities in which they are entrusted to protect.
5: The shooting happened at a Wendy's restaurant. It was captured by security cameras and witness cell phones. This comes during international protests against the killing of another black man, George Floyd in Minneapolis. This is USA Radio News. Brazil has become the indisputable center as the world's second-highest nation with the number of deaths from COVID-19 at almost 42,000. USA's John Clemens reports.
4: Brazil's Ministry of Health reports the cumulative total of over 828,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus, with almost 26,000 new infections, with another 909 people losing their lives, second only to the United States. Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization says Brazil's health care system was standing up to the pressure.
0: The system, as such, from the data we see, is not overwhelmed. But certainly in certain parts of Brazil, there's a significant pressure on the intensive care unit bed occupancy. And again, we, we, we commend the brave
4: frontline health workers. For the USA Radio Network, I'm John Clemens.
5: You're listening to USA Radio News.
13: I'm here with Scott Youseum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS.
19: My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise.
13: Can you give us an example of somebody you help?
19: Oh, can I ever. We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If
13: you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation.
18: Call 800-486-8112. 800-486-8112. 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112.
19: Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal. And you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: A fascinating, truly fascinating discussion about UFOs and what constitutes proof. The state of the evidence, the state of, I guess, our belief systems, too. By the way, Ben's going to stay with us for after the paracast, which is available to subscribers to the paracast plus. For more information, check the Don't you like it they now have all these wacky domains that you can add to your website not just .com or .net, but .plus, .shop, .rocks. We have a domain theparacast.rocks. Okay?
2: I'm impressed. <laughs>
1: You were saying, sir, before we rudely broke up
2: the discussion. I was, I was commenting on your, your smooth transitions. You do that better than most people I know. Well, hey, I think we've done a pretty good job of getting right
3: into Boy, did we ever dive into the nitty-gritty right off the top? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, maybe one more area, uh, conceptual area here. One of the things that you talk about when you do your lectures, and and That you're known for, or at least to be an advocate of, is critical thinking. And we've heard people with a variety of views, skeptical or otherwise, promote themselves as critical thinkers. Do you consider yourself to be a critical thinker? And if so, how do you define critical thinking?
2: Well, that's a a great question. Uh, And of course, most people, uh, whether they're critical thinkers or not, Think of themselves as critical thinkers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's a running joke among skeptical investigators when we see uh, some of the, the TV ghost hunters, you know, well, we're skeptics. <laughs> go, Are you now? <laughs> because that, I don't think that word means what you think it means. One thing to that, that keep in mind about critical thinking is that it's a skill that can be learned. Uh, it's not something you're born with. It's like any other skill. Oftentimes, uh, among us uh, in the skeptical community, people lament the fact that so many people in the public just aren't good critical thinkers, and it's it, and that's unfortunate for political reasons, economic reasons. There's lo- there's lots of reasons why critical thinking is good, but I've always tried to remind people. That, as I mentioned, critical thinking is a skill. It is, a, it is something that can be learned. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the average person on the street is not a good critical thinker because why would they be? The educational system doesn't do a good job of, of bringing up critical thinkers. There's no more reason to think that the average person walking down the street would be a good critical thinker than there would be to assume that they're an accountant or a violinist take your pick because it's, it's something that, that needs to be studied and, and and nurtured. I would consider myself to be a good critical thinker insofar as, uh, I mean, I've written books on critical thinking and, and I've studied uh, logic and argumentation and uh, logical fallacies and examining claims uh, in terms of, you know, if someone makes a claim in logic, there's what's called a warrant or an underlying premise that is often left out, for example, in, in political claims or paranormal. Claims and things like that. I wouldn't hold myself up as a paragon of critical thinking, but I I certainly have studied and and researched and, and done work on critical thinking, and uh, also you know part of my life's work <laughs> to, to not be too lofty about it is to bring critical thinking to the masses, and particularly regarding so-called paranormal topics. When I criticize ghost hunters or Bigfoot believers or wherever anyone else, it's not because I think it's crazy or stupid or silly to investigate things because I do the same. Instead, my my main criticism of these investigators is they're not using good critical thinking skills. They're not bringing good science to it. That's what I find most frustrating is these are fascinating topics. You know, UFOs and ghosts and psychics and crop circles and chupacabras and all these weird, mysterious things in the universe. These are important to to know. These shouldn't be dismissed out of hand. They shouldn't be rejected. They shouldn't be laughed at. They should be genuinely and openly and earnestly investigated. But in order to do that, you have to bring – scientific processes to it. You have to separate out truth from fiction. You have to evaluate uh, the different claims. I think it's important here, though, to differentiate between the scientific
3: method and critical thinking, because just being paranormal in the first place and having such a lack of evidence to deal with, especially material evidence, science, especially hard science, tends to require scientifically valid material evidence. And when that's not there, it's really easy to slide off into pseudoscience. But where science might fail in analyzing the paranormal, I think critical thinking can take over because it doesn't necessarily require the scientifically valid material evidence, it does require really
2: good reasons and clear thinking about the subject. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, critical thinking does sort of require – hard scientific evidence. I mean, that, that's certainly true. I mean, for example, you know, you can apply critical thinking to advertising claims. You can apply critical thinking to political claims. So, they're two different things, although they are related. Critical thinking is just a process. It's a prism through which you can understand and evaluate claims. When you apply it to scientific questions, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where my investigations come in. So, if someone comes to me and they say, I believe in miracles. Uh, my answer is, that's interesting, that uh, that's cool. All right, <laughs> right. That all right. That's fine. And, if uh, someone comes to me and says, "I believe in miracles because there's a weeping statue of Mary in my backyard, and it's been weeping since yesterday, and there's there's tears of blood coming out of it." At that point, that's a te- that's a falsifiable claim. That's a claim that I can actually investigate. So that's sort of where where I get into it. Right. Yeah. So
3: it goes beyond. And I think we'd probably both agree on this. It goes beyond what we might call mere common sense. Sure. There's there's our everyday common sense. And then there's this a more disciplined process of actively conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing and evaluating information from observation, experience, reflection, reasoning, and so on. And we can certainly include scientific evidence in that process. But when there's a lack of scientific evidence, I think critical thinking can really help us get closer to what the situation could be, even if we can't be sure of the
2: final answer. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Sure. I mean, you know, my position is that critical thinking, as I mentioned before, it, it's it's unfortunately not really taught in schools. It's sort of considered an afterthought. The idea is that, well, if we just you know get the kids you know learning about biology or, or geography or history of routes, that somehow critical thinking will come out of that, and that needs to be reversed. Critical thinking should be underlying. That should be the fundamentals. So the critical thinking is the prism through which you understand botany and biology and history and things like that. And even the skeptical view, I think
3: we need to apply critical thinking to our views, regardless of what they are. If there's a skeptical position, I think the skeptics need to be able to analyze their positions through the lens of critical thinking, the same as people who might be believers in something. (laughs)
2: Absolutely, I could not agree more. I, I will say, however, that one of the characteristics of critical thinking is is self analysis and recognizing, for example, you know, I talked a bit earlier about about psychology. In fact, one of the very first things I said about eyewitness testimony is that we all make mistakes, including me. I mean, I explicitly said I make perceptual and memory mistakes all the time. We all do. So, part of being a good critical thinker is recognizing the flaws and error, the cognitive biases, for example. That That we all have. And once you recognize them and identify them, you can begin to try and guard against them. But if you're not aware of them or you dismiss them out of hand, you're not going to employ them and not recognize you're not going to recognize them and try to improve your own thinking. And that's really important.
3: But it takes us back to that flip side I was uh, getting at earlier as well, where everything is relative. So, while there is a fallibility of perception and interpretation with human beings, there's also the fact that we're really amazing at perceiving and interpreting things, especially intelligently. I don't know that we've created any machine or other device that can match our intelligence as human beings. And our perception, until fairly recently, was really, really good. There were no cameras that could do as well as the human eye. come with Gene, Randall, and Ben, you're in. The Paracast.
11: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
14: bags under the eyes crow's feet fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age now there's instantly ageless it works in minutes and is great for men and women
16: i've probably noticed in the past five years that my eyes have gained a lot of fine lines wrinkles my curls feet have gotten deeper wow i was hoping for five years but that's like what my eyes looked like 10 years ago that is really cool
7: wrinkle gone <laughs> it's easy just put it on your finger and go now i wish I had more down here because I can still see one wrinkle It's bugging me.
16: I am a little bit emotional. Turning 40, I didn't think would be a big deal to me. But that looks like the me that I feel like inside instead of what what I see when I look in the mirror.
14: Try Instantly Ageless today at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com.
7: D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
3: Randall, I
1: interrupted you in your description about cameras.
3: Right, I was saying that there's no machine that is intelligent as human beings. Uh, until recently, there weren't any cameras that could do any better, especially in dynamic range, where we can discern things both in and outside of shadows and at night as well as, as we can do. And memory as well. There was nothing that could match us. I mean, we had stone tablets, but I mean, I'm, I'm a PC tech. You would not believe how many hard drives I've thrown away and had to fix because machine memory is faulty. So, I mean, when you start talking about what evidence is good enough, what are we comparing it to? We're actually pretty good at what we do. I can still remember the address I used to live in as a child here in Calgary, no, which was I-
17: 60
2: years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. I mean that's you're exactly right. Uh, you know, the human mind is an amazing wonderful uh, Beautiful, astonishing, fallible thing, and the same processes that make us so good at discriminating the things around us right we, we have our our perceptual apparatus, and so you know we we go throughout our our day and we don't even so much of it is is subconscious we don 't even notice it we, you know we, we get up and we walk to the bathroom and brush our teeth, and just those few steps involve. Balance. They involve perception. They they involve you know muscle coordination and turning on lights. And then you you flip the light on, and your your retina adjust. There's there's all these all these minute things, and it's an amazing you know the the human mind and body. And brain, it's an amazing apparatus, and most of the time it works great, and it certainly works great enough for, for our purposes. But the the flip side of that is that at times, of course, we misperceive things, and we you know it, the human mind it, we're pattern seeking animal. That's why we see faces in clouds. That's why we see you know, we, we see random. You know that's that's one of the roots of, for example, gambler superstitions. They go to the casino and they happen to have a, a lucky quarter in their pocket, and they said, "Wow, I I just won two hundred dollars. Maybe it has some connection to that." Now of course in reality their lucky quarter in their pocket (laughs) didn't make the the (laughs) machine go but it's very very common that's that's part of our our psychological makeup and that's that's you could look at that as a as a bug that's a a common example of how we do misunderstand the world around us oh
3: certainly there there is superstition and a lack of Well, like we were just talking before of of critical thinking, I think the world is maybe a lot more fun if we can set it aside sometimes. But when we do get into serious subjects, we need to take all of these things into consideration. And there are times I think that perhaps the skeptics are just as quick to jump to that fallibility of perception and interpretation as the believers are to jump to the explanation of it was something alien, you know, oh, my God, aliens. There, well, there may be something in between, right? It may be the case that, okay, maybe something is really there. Maybe there is some phenomena we don't understand that leads people to believe that there's something like like life after death. Maybe it's not just uh, an a mental projection or a hallucination that somebody, say, saw there a dead relative or a person they thought walked through a wall or something else. Maybe there really was something like that there, but we don't know the cause. And it's leading us to believe that therefore there's life after death when really I can't see a logical reason why there should be. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, we're sort of getting back to epistemology and the nature of, of, of knowledge and certainty, right? And so this is why you just said, well, you know, maybe it's true that, uh, that there's some unknowable phenomena going on that makes people believe in life after death or, or ghosts or what have you. And the, the scientific response to that would be, you're right that is maybe possible you know science does not operate on absolute certainties science operates on the best evidence and what's probable and this is one of the common problems that i see is mistaking the probable for the possible or even the plausible you'll see people make arguments well you know well okay well you know for example i'll be i'll be discussing bigfoot with a believer and they'll say well uh, i'll say well can you explain for example why it is that we don't have any bigfoot bones and they say, "Well, well, it's because the uh because well so isn't it possible that as soon as the bigfoot die they they go into another dimension and their bones disappear. <laughs> and my answer yeah. is well that's that's possible. <laughs> anything is possible, that's not the question. The question in science isn't what's possible. The question is what is probable? What does the evidence point out to be? I think there needs
3: to be a reasonableness though too. You know, I mean, we could go with the whole Russell's teapot thing. Yeah, sure. Okay. But uh, when you get a number of things coming together, like going back to this whole Nimitz thing, okay, we have some images, we have some uh, eyewitnesses, we have some technological recordings from from radar. We have a number of things that all come together to say that something unusual did happen there. So that's that's a little bit more reason to think that something out of the ordinary, something extraordinary may have actually happened. I mean, we can't be sure of that, but at least it gives us more reason than saying, oh, well, you know, this is all explainable by aliens from Zeta Reticuli who came or, you know, came out of another dimension or something like that.
2: Right. I mean, I I guess I guess I would just sort of inquire as to what you mean by um unusual or 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 you know remarkable. I mean unusual remarkable things happen all the time. People are struck by lightning all the time. There's very rare. Um conjoined twins. There's I think last I heard, I think two or three living conjoined twins. Um they are incredibly rare. They but nonetheless they they happen. There is a scientific basis for them. We know how they happen. They aren't a miracle. They're not they're not mysterious or unexplained, and so I would agree with you that that the that in many of these circumstances, what happened may have been unusual or remarkable. But uh, unusual and remarkable things happen all the time. We're on a planet with you know billions of people on it, and. Uh, just random chance is going to have weird things happen and weird coincidences and and unusual things, such as, you know, something being struck by lightning or, you know, there's every now and then on the Internet, you'll see – some some really uh, bizarre y- bizarre yet true photograph of like you know a frog uh, catching a ride on a pelican's head right and it's not faked I mean there you know you you can talk to the photographer and it's it's a real thing and there's photographs before and after so but on the other hand if you or I go out to a pond or a lake or anywhere else and we try to photograph a, a pelican you know with a frog on its head we can't do it it's not it doesn't mean that it's, it violates the laws of nature it just means that it's such an unusual thing the photographer happened to be there at that time and was ready for it and took the photo so we have we have we have photographic proof that this happened there's no reason to think they're fake but that doesn't make it supernatural
3: Oh, yeah. Now we get into supernatural. Well, I mean, supernatural is almost by definition something that science can't deal with because science deals with nature and the principles of nature. If it's beyond science and beyond nature, then uh, really there's, I mean, we'd have to assume that it is, first of all, then there's really no way that it can be scientifically proven. So I think we need to take another approach. You know, we, we and that would be sort of like a you know the scully approach from the X Files. So that yeah, okay, these things happen, we just don't know how they're happening. We're not saying they don't happen or that people aren't having genuine experiences, or that even maybe something extraordinary is out there, we just don't have an explanation for it yet that
2: we can account for in scientific terms. Right. But but I mean, to get back to what you said a second ago, you said, you know, we know these things are happening. We're just looking for an explanation. But the, the the fact of the matter is that we don't know for sure these things are happening. We – scientists and, and humanity – collectively don't know for sure that Bigfoot exists. We don't know for sure (laughs) that aliens are visiting us and so on. Okay, that's really interesting
3: because actually when we get into the science of everything, science doesn't know if anything exists. So what we need to do is have a a reasonable threshold by which we can say, yeah, I think it's reasonable to believe that these things exist. Because we can make a really good case that everything is just purely subjective and that we live in a world of subjective idealism, we're brains in a vat and there's no way that we can prove otherwise so what we need is something more reasonable than that so we, we can't just defer to this idea that, well, because we can't know it's real, therefore it's reasonable to think that it doesn't exist when tens of thousands of people have had these
2: experiences, at least no, in my I, mind No, I agree with you, but I'm just con- that that's with all due respect that's a little bit of that's a bit different than what you just said a minute ago which is we know for sure that's those that's the phrase they use and i'm just saying that we don't know anything for sure we can't doubt
1: this at all these facts and then we will get on to what people may have seen ben radford gene steinberg j randall murphy
13: you're in the Paracast.
1: stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour.
18: If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331
0: welcome back to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio and now here's Jane Steinberg
1: so the core difference of course between Ben Radford and the rest of us is that he feels we got all this stuff going on but Either we have it now or we'll have a conventional explanation for all of it, except, as you say, very few hoaxes. But before we go
2: on, can you tell us a few hoax stories? <laughs> can I tell you a few hoax stories? <laughs> wow, sure. Uh, there are so many great <laughs> There's so many great ones. There's the 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 uh, the Cardiff Giant hoax. There's um, the the uh, the the uh, James Brother of Jesus ossuary, which I saw at the Toronto Museum, uh, the ROM uh, display, which turned out to be a fake. There's so many hoaxes and, and frauds. There's of course the uh, faked Bigfoot prints by Rant Mullins. Um, many people, of course, believe that the Patterson Gimlin film was faked. Uh, I suspect it probably was. I Oh, okay.
3: Let's go with this Patterson Gimlin film thing, because when I first saw the pictures of that, I thought guy in a suit. You know, I was looking and my pattern recognition in my brain was going, I I think I can even see, you know, his eyes through the slit in the, (laughs) you know, and and yet. And then we have the person who has come out and claimed to have actually worn the suit during the filming and all of this other evidence. That this is just a hoax, and yet there are still believers. so tell us why you really believe it's also believe it's a hoax. Like what can you say to the people who go like the musculature?
2: Right. Well, there's a couple and I, you know, (laughs) we could do a whole two hours just on the Patterson-Gimlin film itself. So I'll just sort of touch on it. But yeah, so the Patterson-Gimlin film is, of course, the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin shot by Bob Catter, uh, Roger Patterson, Bob Gimlin in Bluff Creek, California. um, That was said to be actually a female Bigfoot. Not everybody realizes, but that's supposed to be a female Bigfoot uh, dubbed Patty. P-A-T-T-Y, and allegedly you can see it's uh, heaving hirsute breasts, Depending on how closely you look, I suppose. <laughs> um, and Roger Patterson was uh, was kind of a sketchy character by by all accounts. Even, even the believers in the film <laughs> will admit this is a sketchy dude. He had runs in from the law. He, he had a string of, 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 of brushes. He had people who uh, accused him of, of fraud and this and that and the other. But he went out uh, one, one day with the express purpose of filming Bigfoot, which – Frankly, I find a bit suspicious. But anyway, he, he shot this footage, and again, I'm glossing over lots of stuff because it's complicated, and I'm you know, get into it. But there are very real questions about how the film was even developed, because in 1967, it was a you know the, the footage uh, wouldn't something you can't just take to the local Walgreens. Um, there's also questions about uh, how fast the creature is moving, because uh, Patterson claims that he doesn't remember what uh, what speed the camera was set at. So if you run it at one speed, uh, it's moving one way. If you <laughs> run it at different speeds, it's a different way. The, there are actually several people that have, have come forward uh, claiming to have been in the suit. And this is a bit of a problem because, of course, <laughs> assuming it is a guy in the suit, and it probably is, there's only room for one guy. Uh, there they weren't two dwarfs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so uh-huh. the most likely uh, guy in the suit was a guy named Bob Hieronymus. And there's a book uh, titled The Making of Bigfoot by Greg Long, which is a, a pretty good analysis of this. And he claims that he was actually in the suit and he talked about it being made of hide. And, and anyway, so he, he claims it was in the suit. And the real question, of course, is that is, you know, well, well I mean, the, 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 the film itself is especially interesting because it's either a hoax or it's Bigfoot. I mean, it's, it's, this isn't a moose. This isn't a misidentification. This isn't, you know, this isn't a, a deer from weird angle. Either this is a guy in a suit or it's an unknown, you know, bipedal hairy hominid in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, those are the two break that, that's that's how they break it down so uh, most most experts who have looked at it uh, have have agreed it, it probably is a guy in a suit. Uh, there are different claims of people who say that uh, no that's all totally wrong they say for example that um that the the walk is all wrong so i've seen people claim that uh, it can't it, it literally cannot be human because it doesn't walk like a human. Uh, and that claim was actually debunked by a, by a friend of mine, uh, Dave Daigling. Uh, who now, let me just pre- interrupt here. It's not John Cleese doing a silly walk.
3: <laughs> I, I think Cleese has an alibi, but I don't really know. That would have been awesome if it did walk like that. That's okay. Anyway, the people... Probably don't know what we're talking about, but
2: well, yeah, no. By all means, continue. Do a Google thing. No, it's, Yeah, so yeah. Anyway, so my friend Dave Dayling, uh he, he wrote a book on the D A G L D A G L A N G, and he actually he's an anthropologist, and he actually um, he actually uh, put on a suit and walked using what's called a compliant gait. And he proved, without any doubt, that yes, in fact, a human can walk that like that that doesn't that doesn't prove it's a human; it just means that the claim that this can't be human is 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 flat out wrong um and uh, of course, you know people have gone back and forth on it, and we're still talking about it today in twenty twenty um one of the big things uh is of course people say well if it's um if it's a if it's uh, if it's a hoax, then where's the suit well. <laughs> You know, in an ideal world, yes, there would be a smoking gun, and someone would have you know gone through Roger Patterson's you know storage trunk and found the suit. Um, it's true that the suit itself has not been found, and it's probably rotting in a dump somewhere if it's not long gone. But the the mere fact that somebody has not located the suit and held it up doesn't mean anything. It just means that. I mean, there's lots of hoaxes that where the original materials have have vanished or disappeared, got thrown away. So (laughs) that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, I think I've actually seen a couple of pictures out there
3: that were old of uh, the person who was in the suit holding up uh, the the mask part of it for part of the photograph. But so, I mean, I, I don't know that it's the suit is still out there, but. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. But you you bring up an interesting point where you get these experts involved. And and this is where I I run into trouble when I'm finding myself in debates with people about it. And that is that someone will bring up some expert like you just mentioned. Well, the walk is all wrong. Or uh, back at the start of the question where they say, well, it's the musculature is nothing like a human being's. And According to some expert or another. And so, so if you're going to have these arguments that appeal to authority, and then there's an authority on one side and an authority on the other, how, how is the average person supposed to distill that down to what actually is the case?
2: Yeah, you're right, and this is this is one of the problems. Um, you know, unfortunately, part of the answer is that um, is you you challenge people on it. And again, I I generally try to be pretty diplomatic, but when when I see somebody claim, for example, that that the the walk has never been duplicated, I know for a fact that's literally not true. This isn't even mm-hmm. a matter of opinion. I just I know if that's not true, and so I'll say w- where where did you get that? Where why are you claiming that the walk can't be duplicated? And I'll say, I'll tell you where I'm getting my information is from this this book uh, with Dave Daigling, uh, and he 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 has still frames of it. I mean, it's right there. And so I'll say, okay, well, I mean, I'm not saying you're, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking. You know, you you're claiming this. You seem to be pretty certain about it. Here's my evidence. Where is yours? and they often sort of you know rump off or you block me on facebook whatever it is no. and and so and it's, you know it's sort of disheartening because i'm i'm legitimately trying to engage with them but they're the part of the problem is that they're they're so influenced by tv shows and blogs and and these these things on, on TV that say, well, you know, they just sort of make these broad-sweeping statements that are simply flat-out false. Um, and it's frustrating because they a lot of people, they just see something on TV and they think that's the truth. And, and you know, I, as you guys know, I did a book on the chupacabra. And um, I'm continually being confronted by somebody who says, well, you know, I think you're wrong about chupacabra. I say, well, that's interesting. Um, wh- wh- why do you think so? Well, I saw a half-hour episode on some TV show last night. Like – Okay, well, I spent five years researching this. <laughs> I have a 220-page book fully referenced, so okay.
1: Let's break it here, and we'll talk about that. we got a lot more to come with Ben Radford. He's an editor of Skeptical Inquirer, so you know where this discussion has gone, but he also is sensible to talk to. So we can have a reasoned discussion, which is a rarity sometimes these days. Randall has a question. We've got more to come with Gene and Randall. You're
3: in The Paracast
1: do you need a website well you can get a great deal on hosting services with namecheap's legendary coupon code
12: you know what's really smart wash your hands frequently practice social distancing and stay home if
21: told to do so you know what's really dumb to ignore your immune system Right now, more than ever, your health depends on a strong immune system.
12: The experts at Immunicorp will give you their 7-step guide to immunity for life,
21: free. Why? Because we want you to be smart and healthy.
12: Simply call 800-446-3063 or click ImmunityForLife.com.
21: Immunicorp has been producing the world's leading immune system products for more than two decades.
12: To get your free 7-step guide to immunity for life, call 800-446-3063. Six three eight hundred four four six three zero six three. Be
21: smart. Don't ignore your immune system. Your life depends on it.
12: Call 800-446-3063 or click immunityforlife.com. immunityforlife.com.
13: Attention homeowners that have ever had a broken appliance. (laughs) That's a joke, right? We've all had broken appliances. I own a home just like you and have found a way for as little as a dollar a day to have all the major appliances in my home on a warranty plan. They're guaranteed to be fixed or replaced. You know how expensive an air conditioner, the heating system, a washing machine, dryer, water heater, or refrigerator can be. For about a dollar a day, all your major appliances are protected in case they break. Unless you're uh, Daddy Warbucks or the Monopoly guy and you don't care about money, call my friends at the Home Service Club now and get a warranty on your major appliances. It's a free call and the first month is free. But be one of the first 25 people to call within the next 10
18: minutes. 800-825-6796. 800-825-6796. 800-825-6796. 800-825-6796. 800-825-6796. Again, that's 800-825-6796.
16: We've all seen and perhaps used the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin And as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective. GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com, keyword antibacterial, or call 877-878-4203.
1: We have four segments left to our visit with Ben Radford, and we always enjoy talking with him. This is the third time he's been on. He was on in 2011 and 2014, after which he needed a six-year rest cure before he came back. <laughs> and he's also going to be joining us on After the Paracast, where you could, of course, have unfettered conversation without the FCC limitations. Randall,
3: you were about to say... Well just just before uh, the break there uh, Benjamin was talking about the book he's written on chupacabra's tracking the chupacabra yes tracking the tracking chupacabra the vampire beast in fact fiction and folklore I think we ought to talk some more about that so let's move on from bigfoot and talk some about some more about the uh, chupacabra and your book and a couple of other your other books as well sure let's let's go right to the beginning where did this whole chupacabra thing get started and go through sort of a, a synopsis of your investigation and discoveries.
2: Sure. Well, the Chupacabra, as, uh, as you guys know, is near and dear to my heart. It's a, it's a fascinating topic. I spent years researching it, and uh, it's, it's cool. It's a vampire. It's mysterious. It's, you know, th- all these sorts of things. And in fact, oddly enough, this is at the 25th anniversary, of the Chupacabra. 2020, uh, it was the, the, the happy birthday Chupacabra, actually, in uh, <laughs> in August. Uh, the Chupacabra first emerged in August of 1995, uh, which many people find odd because, of course, when you're thinking about mysterious creatures and monsters, whether it's the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or what have you, you assume, reasonably so, that these things have been around for a while. Right. So, you know, you don't assume the the, the Chupacabra, the, the, you know, the, the, for example, a giraffe just appeared in 1995, you know, Africa, you know, we, animals don't suddenly appear out of nowhere, uh, except in this case it did. It's a curious story. So it actually begins – I'll take you back to the, the very first sighting because it's actually not really well known and it's really interesting. So it began in August of 95 in a small town of Canovanas, Puerto Rico, which is outside of the capital of San Juan. And there was a, a woman uh, named Madeline Tolentino who I interviewed in my book, and I, I um, went and saw her, the, the location where she, where she saw this thing. She's, uh, she's the very first person in history to, to, to cite what later became the Chupacabra. And she said it happened at some point during the second week of August of 95. She's not clear exactly um, what day it was, but she said it was a weekday, which would be between August, I think, 7th and 11th in early afternoon. And she actually gave two somewhat different versions of the, the encounter, and I'll sort of summarize them both both briefly. So initially, she told her story to a Puerto Rican research group that was interested in UFOs. And that that's actually one of the reasons why the, the Chupacabra story and mythology involves UFOs is because one of the first groups to hear about it and promote the story was UFO group. She said that uh, she was helping her mother in, inside her house, and she noticed a vehicle outside the house, and she looked out the window. It's a big plate glass window, and she saw uh, some uh, a man parking a car, and he was terrified. He had this look of horror on his face, and he was looking around. Try to figure out why? Why was he so so scared? Was there a, a mugger or something else going on? Well, as it turned out, almost literally right in front of her was this weird bipedal, spiky-backed creature that would later be called the chupacabra. She says about four feet tall, it is bipedal, and walking on two legs. It had uh, long, skinny fingers and sort of an alien wraparound eyes and spikes going down the back. She had a very, uh, very detailed description. Uh, in fact, uh, down to its lack of genitals. She goes into some detail about the chupacabra's parts, or lack thereof. Actually, she she says that where where the ju- the chupacabra would have had genitals, it was quote plain and sealed. <laughs> whatever whatever that means. It also she also noted it had no anus, which I've always found a very weird detail. But anyway. Uh, she said that, uh, that it was just basically standing there in front of her um, uh, on the opposite side of, of plate glass window, and um, her mother, uh, actually, who, who was with her at the time, went out to go go grab it. Um, and then it sort of uh, – sort of, well, she described it in different ways. She said it sort of flew or, or jumped like a kangaroo. Uh, and then she claims that, um, that a neighborhood boy – uh, a young, young man that, that worked for her, her then husband um, chased it and, uh, in, into a nearby yard and pried its, its mouth open and looked at its teeth. You could probably guess that I'm getting a bit skeptical. About this story. <laughs> Just like,
3: yeah, no, this story keeps getting
2: better and better. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm, and again, I, this is all this is all documented. I'm not embellishing this at all. This is literally what she said. She said that uh, that it had these spikes that, that started flipping, uh, oh. flitting around, sort of like on its back. And again, uh, after the the neighborhood boy grabbed its mouth, he let it go, and it, it skipped off into the woods and was never seen again. So that's the story that she told a Puerto Rican group uh, in 1996. In 1996, this was, again, probably six, seven months after the original report. When I interviewed her in 2010, uh, she told me a, a bit of a different story. Uh, she, the description was about the same. Uh, still, sort of, you know, bipedal, spiky-backed, alien-type eyes and wraparound uh, things like that. Um, uh, and of course, with the 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 uh, the, <laughs> the corresponding uh, naughty bits. Um, but she said that, um, in fact, she said that uh, the, the the other eyewitnesses weren't there. So the guy in, who parked the car, who was terrified, wasn't there. The kid that allegedly grabbed it and looked at its mouth didn't happen. So in in the version she told me in 2010, basically all that happened was that her mother woke her up, which is an interesting detail. I'll <laughs> we'll touch on that later. Uh, and, and brought her attention to the window where outside the window, again, through the glass, she saw this this creepy thing. And that her mother was going to chase it but didn't. And it basically just vanished. So – you know, We have significantly different stories that she told different people about that original account. But in any event, that sighting soon took on life its own. It was reported, as I mentioned, it was, it was first investigated, and I, I use the word investigated very loosely in this case, by the Puerto Rican Research Group, who, as I mentioned, uh, it was, was big at the time in, in investigating UFOs and, and those sorts of claims around Puerto Rico. They latched on to her story, particularly uh, the head of it, a man named Jorge Martín. Uh, and began promoting her story, uh, and so it made the news around Puerto Rico for several weeks and months. It was the subject of tabloid stories, sort of the National Enquirer version of Puerto Rico. So there was news reports and sightings and you know scary things and monsters and this and that and the other being talked about all over Puerto Rico. And then eventually it it made the news. Uh, it made a TV show called Cristina, which is a Spanish language show, which was then broadcast to Spanish speaking areas, including Miami, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and elsewhere. And that brought it to a, a much broader Spanish-speaking attention, and then, of course, the X Files. So, in '97, was when the X Files did a famous episode on it, and suddenly it's on the X Files, and English-language audiences are hearing for the first time about the mysterious vampire beast El Chupacabra. Remember,
1: folks, the truth is out there. Gene, Randall, Ben, you're in the Paracast.
14: USA Radio News with Wendy King.
5: Atlanta's mayor has accepted the resignation of Police Chief Erica Shields just 24 hours after a black man was killed by an Atlanta officer following a field sobriety test. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms says the police force needs to change its ways.
6: While we have a police force full of men and women who work alongside our communities with honor, respect, and dignity, there has been a disconnect with what our expectations are and should be as it relates to interactions with our officers and the communities in which they are entrusted to protect.
5: The shooting happened at a Wendy's restaurant. It was captured by security cameras and witness cell phones. This comes during international protests against the killing of another black man, George Floyd in Minneapolis. This is USA Radio News. Brazil has become the indisputable center as the world's second-highest nation with the number of deaths from COVID-19 at almost 42,000. USA's John Clemens reports.
4: Brazil's Ministry of Health reports the cumulative total of over 828,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus, with almost 26,000 new infections, with another 909 people losing their lives, second only to the United States. Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization says Brazil's health care system was standing up to the pressure.
0: The system, as such, from the data we see, it, it is not overwhelmed. But certainly in certain parts of Brazil, there's a uh, significant pressure on the intensive care unit bed occupancy. Uh, and uh, again, we, we, we commend uh, the brave uh,
4: frontline health workers. For the USA Radio Network, I'm John Clemens.
5: You're listening to USA Radio News.
4: In today's world,
8: violent crime can victimize anyone, anytime. When violent crime confronts you, will you be able to protect yourself and your loved ones? For personal protection training, there's none better than Front Sight, the world's premier firearms training facility near Las Vegas, Nevada. Learn firearm skills from Front Sight's world-class instructors led by Front Sight's founder and director, Dr. Ignatius Piazza. Whether you're in law enforcement, the military, or a private citizen, after your first firearm training course at Front Sight, you'll leave with skills that surpass 99% of the gun-owning population, guaranteed. And now, you and your family can train at Front Sight Free of charge. Yes, free. Go now to slash radio to secure a $2,000 four day defensive handgun course. Absolutely free with no catch. Enter slash radio. Act now before these free courses are all taken. Secure your free four day course at slash radio. Frontsite, America's gun training destination.
10: This is Jacques Vallée, and you're
16: listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
3: So,
1: all the good or bad things that The X-Files has done for us, it makes people believe it's just a sci-fi show, Ben. <laughs> or was. I don't know what the last season was, because they tried to change the theory behind the story when they brought it back after uh, 12,000 years.
2: Yes. I've always sort of had sort of a love-hate relationship with, with the X-Files. Uh, I met Chris Carter one time. He, he happened to be the Center for Inquiry. Uh, I think he was giving a talk there. Seems like a nice enough guy. I enjoyed the X-Files in terms of, you know, obviously I, I do research into many of the, the actual subjects that the, 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 film, the, the series is based on. I don't know. It sort of got a little outlandish for me, (laughs) but, you know, I I get the appeal.
3: So let's carry on with the chupacabra then. So because it started off with this one sighting or experience from this one girl, and it's now grown into, I mean, are they seen only in South or Central America or where did it spread to from there? And are they all over the place now or what's going on with them?
2: Well, it's fascinating, right? Because the the original chupacabra sighting, as I mentioned, it's very, very distinctive. As it later turned out, and this is one of the sort of the the, the parts that I discovered in my book, is that Tolentino had recently seen the science fiction movie uh, Species, the nineteen ninety five film, with Ben Kingsley and uh, Michael Madsen and Natasha Henstridge among others. And in her own words, this isn't me putting words in her mouth. Tolentino herself said in nineteen ninety six. The creature that she saw, the chupacabra, looked a lot like, in fact, nearly identical to the movie uh, monster Sill in the movie *Species*. And in fact, I, I devoted a chapter to that in my in my book, is to looking at all the different parallels. And so, it's it's pretty clear to me and min, and many other people as well that what Tolentino described as a first person literal eyewitness to the chupacabra, was in fact very likely, almost certainly, drawn from the movie Species, uh, which has an identical monster that, she, that we know for a fact she had recently seen. Let um, me just throw something in here as you proceed. Sure.
1: About movies and TV shows influencing things. Take the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. The original with Michael Rennie. I'm not going to talk about the Keanu Reeves version, which I thought was dreadful. The original, (laughs) that one there had a large amount of influence on the early UFO contact claims, didn't it? In fact, Howard Menger's painting of UFO was just the UFO, the flying saucer, a spaceship that left in light or in shadow at the end of the film, you see the thing take off surrounded by a glow. He paints it and says, yeah, I saw that.
2: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, and it's fascinating. In fact, that's that's sort of one of the one of the lesser examined uh, topics in, in, these, in this area is the influence that the movies and TV shows have on real-life sightings. Uh, and the, the example you gave is a perfect one. Uh, a colleague of mine, Daniel Loxton, uh, who wrote a book with Don Prothero titled Abominable Science, he does an excellent uh, investigation into the influence that the movie King Kong had on uh, the, uh, the, the interpretations and ideas of what the Loch Ness monster looked like. Uh, there's actually a very strong parallel between the, the person that had the r- original sighting of a long neck creature near Loch Ness. This was actually on land. Uh, I think it was a guy named Spicer, uh, that was very influential, uh, in terms of the long neck plesiosaur idea of, of, of Nessie, um, that was very clearly taken, uh, from, from King Kong.
3: Okay. Well, that's all pretty cool, but where are we with the
2: Chupacabra today? So, with the chupacabra today. So, for about five years, the chupacabra was mostly known, again, in Puerto Rico and, and around Latin America. Uh, in 1997, as I mentioned, it it, it became broader, and it became, uh, you know, more better, better known through an English-speaking audience. And then things changed in 2000. And what happened in 2000 was that in Managua, Nicaragua, uh, there was a, a rancher that shot what he believed – he probably wrongly, but he believed was a chupacabra. And that's when we first see the, the first quadruped chupacabra. So before that, we're, again, we're talking this alien looking thing that, again, looks pretty much like the, the the monster in the movie Species. And then 2000, we suddenly have this uh, dead dog, or canid, right? Dog, coyote, fox, four-legged thing. Uh, and that's the first time when a, a skeleton, in this case, was claimed to be the Chupacabra. And from then on, um, the, the the public's idea of what a Chupacabra is locked onto this uh, mangy, four-legged uh, creature about the size of a dog or a coyote. Um, and oftentimes, of course, uh, there was little or no connection to vampirism, which is odd because, I mean, the, ch- the Chupacabra, it's a vampire. You know, it's... The the Bigfoot Bigfoot is not a vampire. The Loch Ness monster is not a vampire. The you know the Mothman is not a vampire. The Chupacabra is specifically a vampire. And I talk about that in the second chapter of my book, is you have to understand it within the context of vampire traditions around the world, because it's said to suck the blood out of goats and chickens, things like that. That in fact that's that's how you get the name chupacabra in, in Spanish. So, uh, so again, it's this vampire that's supposed to be lurking around attacking mostly small animals and in, in a few rare cases people. Uh, but, but it's, it's – again, it's, it was – for the first five years, it was sighted but not found. And after that, it was found but not sighted. And by that, I mean the, the original Chupacabra – that Madeline Tolentino, the witness saw again. Based on, the, as it turns out, this movie, um, people sort of saw it like in the darkness or you know out of the corner of their eye, things like that. In these sensational tabloid stories, but in 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 2000, uh, twenty years ago, people began seeing and identifying hairless, uh, usually mangy dogs and coyotes as chupacabras. And this is when you began seeing, for example, uh, coyotes in Texas in uh, New Mexico and elsewhere that were these poor, unfortunate, you know, disease-ridden animals that were being mistaken for the chupacabra, even though there was no real connection to the original chupacabra and certainly no connection to vampirism. Okay, that's pretty
3: interesting. This, and what you guys were when you started talking about movies and the influence of popular culture on how we perceive the paranormal uh it reminded me of a discussion we had with another guest David Halper and where uh no oh, yeah I, I know yeah i i know of him yep yeah and where we talked about how the the phenomena whatever it happens to be tends to mirror the worldview of the experiencer
2: yeah absolutely yeah, I mean, and again, it goes back to <laughs> it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about eyewitnesses, right? And you know, we we view the world through our own prism, and it, that doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It doesn't mean it just means that you know we we interpret the things around us as through a certain set of of learned behaviors and, uh, and assumptions about the world, and usually that works out perfectly. In a couple rare cases, it doesn't <laughs> work out at all, and it misleads us. Okay,
3: but now I want to hear uh, a case of where one of these chupacabras attacked a person.
2: Wow, well, there's only um, there, the, 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 there's only one or two cases that I've heard of. Um, the main one that's coming to mind was, and you, you'll you'll see why I'm I'm hedging on it, was there was a report in Mexico where uh, a um, a man claimed that uh, he had been coming home from work and he was attack- attacked by Chupacabra, and that was why he was uh, late to his wife. You can. Uh, maybe look Wade, this Wade. Story. Wade. <laughs> so yeah, you know, he- I'm
1: starting to see something there, and it's not. Chupacabra. I mean, I've heard of excuses that people not, so give for yes, their but, absence. But this one is taking things a little too far.
2: Long but, you know, you have to yeah, believe was, this, he was, though. He was out drinking yeah. with another, uh, let me, another let me, woman. Let me and, end it. Uh, I have to end the segment. found out, he blamed the chupacabra. Yeah. All
1: right. All right. Yeah, we have to end the segment. Then we'll find out about the chupacabra. That's an interesting excuse I've heard of a lot. Maybe that's what... No, I don't want to get into <laughs> that. We've got more to come with Ben, Gene, and Randall. One more segment. You're
3: in the Paracast.
11: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit gcnlive.com today.
7: Today, many of us are paying attention to our health and what we eat plays an important role. But so often the water we drink is a mere afterthought when it should be a primary part of our daily nutrition. Real water would like to change how you think about the water you drink and how it can play an important role in helping your body restore balance and reach its full potential. The key benefits of every bottle of real water are stabilized negative ions, balanced pH, detoxification, and it hydrates you like never before. And yes, it tastes great. Real water is beyond alkalinity and due to its proprietary process called, Called E2 Technology, it's the only drinking water on the market that can maintain a stable negative ionization, which means real science in every bottle. Order your real water today and take advantage of special pricing for this audience only by calling 1 855 REALWTR or visiting buyrealwaternow.com. That's 1 855 REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Order now 1 855 REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com.
14: Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens sulfates, silicones or dyes for a salon quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman.
21: I've treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence we've created a unique set of polypeptides which we call HPT6. The HPT6 the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal Hair Care System is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at
14: GCNLife.com with a 30 day money back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844 443 6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844 443 6637.
7: Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: It would be a silly excuse. Oh, I shoot a Cabra. Next week, you're going to say you were kidnapped
2: by E.T., right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the interesting things about the Chupacabra is it's sort of a raw shock because people were using it for various purposes. So, for example, when the original sightings circulated, uh, particularly in Puerto Rico in the, in the mid and late 90s, it was claimed to be God's retribution. So, for example, there were Pentecostal churches, of which there are several in, in Puerto Rico, uh, that were saying, well, you know, this, this, this terrifying beast that's sucking the blood. Lot of animals, it's demonic, and, it, and in fact, they would they would talk about how uh, it was mentioned in in the Book of Revelations, for example. Other people, uh, in another case uh, I wrote about in the book, there was a chupacabra that ended up in a creationist museum. <sighs> Because, <laughs> true story, so it was this uh, creationist bought, well, well it turned out uh, a mangy coyote, but he, he bought this animal from, uh, it was claimed to be a chupacabra, and she, he bought it to display as evidence that scientists can be wrong. Well, you know, scientists say the chupacabra doesn't exist, yet here it is. Scientists also say that creationism isn't true, and they have this evolution theory, and yet, <laughs> so I'm not buying that either. And I'll, I'll just tell you one other quick angle to it. So in the first uh, year or two after the Chupacabra uh, came to the fore, it was actually used as a political tool. Uh, the mayor of Canovinas, a man named Jose Chemosoto, uh, who sort of fancied himself a modern-day Indiana Jones, uh, he was running for mayor of Canovinas, and he'd been mayor for several terms. When the Chupacabra emerged, he seized upon it. He ran towards the cameras and said – well, I'm your mayor. I'll protect you from this chupacabra, this, this dreaded chupacabra. So he actually arranged press events where he and armed men with machetes and guns would prowl the nights and, and protect the, the villagers uh, from the dreaded chupacabra. Of course, don't forget to vote.
3: Oh, that is such an excellent story. That's so funny you should mention that because I was just going to ask if there was a, you know, anybody had it has a chupacabra festival going on anywhere during this
2: uh, anniversary of the chupacabra. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous! It's, it's um, actually interesting. I'll, I'll just I'll just wrap up with this if we get a second. So I was actually in Puerto Rico just last year. I was there for the Josh Gates show, Expedition Unknown. He he did a show on the chupacabra, and while I was there, uh, they were actually going to try and interview the current mayor of Canovanas, who, as it turns out is Shema Soto's uh, daughter. So he's now retired. His daughter is now the mayor of the town. And the Josh Gates show tried to interview her to talk about Chupacabra, and she wanted nothing to do with it. She's like... Not going to talk, no interview, go (laughs) away. She was just embarrassed by it at this point.
3: Not doing the chupacabra. Sorry. Next question. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So before we get to the end of the show here and on After the Paracast, we're going to talk about the rest of your books and get into some other really interesting stories. But I want to talk about something that I ran across not that long ago, but I guess a it's been going on for quite a while. Apparently, there was this rash of evil clown sightings, and you've got a book called Bad Clowns. What is going on with that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're correct. Yes, I, I wrote a book titled Bad Clowns. And when I told my friends, uh, you know, because my, you know, I, I've written a, a dozen books at this point, and my friends are always like, oh, what are you working on now? What are you working on now? And so I'm known for doing sort of mysterious, weird, you know, I've done books on lake monsters and ghosts and chupacabras. And they said, what are you working on now? I said, well, I think clowns. And they'd be like, clowns? <laughs> I'm like, well, Evil clowns are like, oh, I get it. All right. That's cool. <laughs> like, that just nailed it. So, yes, I did a book on bad clowns titled, you know, bad clowns. I won an award for it. I'm not too proud to say. Uh, and yes, in in that book, in the next segment, we can talk more about the the clown panic and the uh, the terrifying phantom clowns. Well, let's touch on that right
3: now because uh, we're getting towards the end of the show and we'll be moving into the wrap up. So let's give us a teaser for what we can uh, expect in after the Paracast.
2: Sure. In the book, Bad Clowns, I go into uh, the history of evil clowns. I go into the the so-called phantom clown sightings, in which there were uh, many reports, particularly in the 1980s and some in the 90s and even some more recently, of um, allegedly vans, usually white vans, of clowns trying to abduct children. And this sounds uh, sufficiently creepy, and it is, but oddly enough, they they were never found. They were always the sort of rumored shadowy bands of clowns lurking around. And, of course, you can imagine how many clowns you can fit in a van, right? I mean, there's, this, <laughs> there's small cars, and I've seen 20 or 30 clowns come out of one of those tiny cars that's about the size of a toaster. So I'm guessing a full-size van, just statistically, there's got to be 200 clowns in there. I'm guessing. I, I don't know. I, haven't, I don't know how you measure clowns, but like maybe what, by weight or, you know, <laughs> shoe size. Anyway, but yes, so there were lots of stories circulating around. And in fact, about six months after my book came out in 2016, there was a global clown panic. And there were clowns appearing in social media, threatening to schools. There are actually school lockdowns. There were the, the the White House issued a press release comment about the clowns. It was just everywhere. It was crazy. I can
1: go Cri- on. I, just, I don't know how much how much time we have. No, no, we have a couple of minutes before oh, okay. we, when we go to close credits. So let's talk about what you're going to be up to, when we get into the clowns and stuff in our. After the PowerCast episode, uncensored, by the way, folks. Tell us what you got coming up, things that you might be working on that we should know.
2: Well, busy on a lot of different fronts. Um I have my own podcast uh titled Squaring the Strange and I'm pleased to say that we've just celebrated our 3rd anniversary. Uh, I think we've done 125 episodes or something and uh that's available uh on uh, iTunes and Libsyn and elsewhere and I have two co-hosts and that's a that's a fun project. I've recently done some investigations on a couple different things. I did one on the the chase vault mystery. This is a famous mystery in Barbados that uh, involves a vault that was allegedly sealed up, and the coffins, after it was sealed up, uh, moved without anybody opening the vault. And I, I visited Barbados and did a couple of investigations into it and dug into that particular mystery. I have a recent article in Skeptical Inquirer magazine on uh, Mothman shine uh, red eyes is a, is a particularly um, unique, uh, strange uh, characteristic of many creatures, including the Chupacabra, the Dover Demon, for example, and, and the Mothman. But it's not actually a, a thing that, that's anatomically possible in terms of glowing eyes. Certainly, eyes can reflect light, and many eyes do reflect light. If you've seen photographs of, for example, dogs or cats or owls or whatever else. But uh, there's no animal that has, has eyes that emit light. And that's one of the claims uh, about many of them. And I recently visited uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where, which is, of course, the home of the Mothman. And I conducted some experiments there in terms of uh, trying to investigate uh, the Mothman shine. You sounded like you were trying to sell makeup or
1: something for a second. <laughs> Let's continue this. Radford in Radford Makeup. Check it again. Radford Makeup Company, right? We'll just set it up and place your order since we can't really go to work anymore. We have to work from home. That's fun. Anyway, where can we find more of your stuff?
2: So you can find me on, uh, on Facebook. not a huge fan of Facebook, but it's sort of the default. And so, you know, that's <laughs> where I end up being under Ben Radford. Uh, as I mentioned, I do a podcast called Squaring the Strange, which is available for free if people are interested. Uh, you can subscribe and check out uh, new episodes every couple of weeks. I also do occasional um, blogs and columns at the Center for Inquiry. So busy, busy, busy.
1: We're busy, too. You can find us on Twitter if you look for The Powercast. You can find two places, communities, whatever they are, on Facebook for the PowerCast. We also have branded merchandise at the PowerCast All those wacky TLDs, top level domains dot shop, the PowerCast Ben's going to be back, or as someone once said, he'll be right back on after the PowerCast with more stuff, more about the clowns and everything, and that's. Available if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus. We also give you a version of this show free of the network ads. For more information on becoming a subscriber at our special low, 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 low prices, go to theparacast.plus. That's theparacast.plus for quick signups. You can get you signed up in a minute or two that fast. Ben Radford, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thanks for having me on. Always great
2: to talk to you guys.